Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Living Free uh, on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Uh, Thanks to Ruminations for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness in Melbourne. Uh, I'm Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from active alcoholism. I'd like to welcome Aaron and Alex to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hello. Hey. Uh, As members of Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Um, So I guess we usually start talking about what things are like as a kid and growing up and why we get into drugs and alcohol. Um, so, um, Aaron, what what was it about your life that caused you to get into drinking and taking uh, smoking? Yeah, I think um, it's a bit... It's weird to look back on it because you, I think, you know, at least objectively from the outside, you people would like to look back and like, oh, you know, this happened and this is the reason why, you know? But when I look back at my life, there wasn't really... A, my family was really nice. They never treated me poorly. They told me I was great and I was going to amount to whatever I wanted to and all that different stuff. But for whatever reason, you know, at probably 11 or 12, um, I started, you know, you hear about it all the time in AA meetings where it's like, I felt anxious apartness. I felt weird. I felt less than all these things. And, um, that was my experience, you know, 12, 13 years old. I started kind of showing symptoms of, uh, just not being comfortable in my skin. And so, um, you know, different things happen, but the short version is I basically ended up with the doctors giving me different pills and that was kind of the beginning. And then as it went forward, it was, uh, drinking alcohol and and smoking and uh, smoking weed and stuff. And that just kind of, I didn't feel good prior to having that stuff. And when I first drank gave me a sense of relief from whatever existential sort of suffering was that I had when I, 13, some sort of crisis, you know, and then I drank and it just lit me up and made me come alive. And I felt like Superman. Right. You know? Okay. Um, so were, were you anxious? Did you, were you anxious or depressed? You know, what was the sort of the feeling you had? Yeah, that's a good, that's a, Good question. It was, um, yeah, it was anxiousness and depression and anger. I remember, you know, being like 13 or 14, being really like angry and listening to angry rock music and just like Linkin Park and laying in my bed and just being miserable and angry at nothing. You know, there wasn't anything that I could shake a stick at to say, this is what's wrong with me. But yeah, I was anxious and I felt, I felt less than other kids. I felt weird. I felt off center and it, yeah, I was like anxious, depressed, sort of just not right, you know? Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, what about you, Alex? What was, uh, what was life like before you started using and what, what did you start and when did you start? Well, it was mainly just being dominated by anxiety and a lot of anger. Uh, growing up, I, I just never really felt okay. And when I, was about 11 I wasn't doing well in school and the doctors they they put me on a medication called Adderall which is basically methamphetamine and a pill that they give the kids when they aren't 
doing what they want. So what, what weren't you doing? Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't good at long division. <laughs> math. <laughs> I wasn't good at math. And so they they put me on these drugs, and I found that it it made it kind of like normalized my mood. And then I if I mixed it with um, cough syrup, like a Robitussin, which yeah. has like this DXM drug in it, I felt really good. And so I would I would do this, be like twelve years old, just like high, and and like I could do this forever. You know, and um, and then I started smoking weed when I was thirteen, fourteen, and then I was when I was fifteen, I moved down. Uh, I lived in Philly, and I moved down to Atlanta, Georgia, and I got very, very depressed. I missed my friends. I it was it was really hard living in the South when I grew up up north. I got in trouble all the time. I didn't say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and I cursed a lot, and and people don't like that, mm. you know, and where where I was and um and so I really started drinking heavily and, and smoking a lot of weed and and taking pills to uh kind of mask that anxiety and depression that I was going through yeah all did, over did that work did it work for you did it, it worked yeah. at first <laughs> yeah it, yeah it worked for for a few years and um it, it yeah it felt good okay um so what were your friends doing at that point oh i well when you do those kinds of things you attract other people like that into your life and i and i made friends with like the other black sheep kid at school right and we just got into lots of trouble together all the time right. yeah okay. and i understand that tr- trouble landed you in jail yeah i i was um i was 19 and i you know i luckily i never caught any real charges but i i went to jail twice uh the first time was a vandalism charge i i took way too many substances and i i uh smashed in a a truck with a shovel right and and that's illegal so (laughs) you go to to jail for those kinds of things yeah and then uh the second time the i got uh i was selling drugs out of the house and the police raided my house and i got a uh intent to distribute charge and um but i was you know i it it was like a 24-hour stint both times so it wasn't that bad but it was like the worst jail in atlanta which is fulton county jail which is where like real criminals go so i was like handcuffed to people that were like in there for murder (laughs) and i'm like this you know 130 pound like skinny white kid and people are like have murdered people and I'm like handcuffed to them going to a bond hearing like asking me what I'm in for I'm like vandalism (laughs) (laughs) right Uh, so Aaron um, what was life like at home then if you if you were drinking and taking drugs yeah you know it's I was clashing with my parents you know I think uh, they're just like what are you doing I don't remember a lot of like the specifics, but I just remember there being a lot of fighting and a lot of disagreements because uh, I just, I wanted to run around with girls and and friends that were doing drugs and drinking. And I wanted, I wanted so badly to be able to do whatever I wanted. I wanted to drink basically, you know, as I got older and I wanted to, to do all this stuff. And so my parents, because they cared so much and they just, I think they saw in me from an early age that I had 
potential, you know, that whole thing of the alcoholic has all this potential. And if you would stop drinking, then mm. whatever. And, uh, so there's a lot of fighting in the house and, and a lot of them trying to control, um, my using and my drinking and all the behaviors that go with it. And they're just like, you know, try to give me a curfew, try to get me to come home rather than spend the night wherever I am. And, uh, in a lot of ways it, it just, I'm lying, I'm sneaking out, I'm manipulating. So it was just constant basic chaos in the house. I, I put them through hell and they're really nice people. And, um, just being a wild and, and crazy kid wanting to get away with, you know, being out till 3am with all these other kids and, and, uh, them just desperately wanting me to be safe. And I didn't want to be safe. You know, I wanted to do what I wanted. So it was just that, you know? So what happened? What happened when? Like, ah, yeah. So did, could you stay at home doing, doing that? Oh yeah. No, no. So <laughs> that lasted for a solid couple of years. And so I was in high school and basically throughout high school, 15, 16, 17 years old, it just got worse and worse and worse. And they were pushing against me and I was pushing against them. And it got to the point where I was like, I'm leaving, you know, cause some of my friends were older and they were in, they were in university. So on my 18th birthday, I basically went, went to my parents. I said, look, I'm legal now. I'm leaving. And so I just went and I said, I'm out. And I did. And I left. And I was still in high school. I was 18 in April of that year and uh, moved in with a bunch of guys that were in university. So then I could do whatever I wanted, even though I was still technically in high school, which is a bit weird. But and then from there, I just started drinking the way that I wanted to drink, which was every day. And that was kind of when I think I told you earlier that my friends that were drinking a lot as well kind of looked at me like, dude, you're drinking like you i think you're an alcoholic and we would have a laugh about it yeah you know so that was from there it just progressed exponentially because i'd left home and then i could do whatever i wanted is you know right so were your parents concerned at this spiral they were horrified yeah yeah it was really bad you know because i think um like my mom you know she grew up with alcoholism pretty horribly in her family and she's seen what it had done to people and so she, I would imagine, and she would probably tell you that she probably saw me going down that path. And so she was terrified and, and they were, they were just really disappointed and they were just really sad and they just wanted me so badly to pull up and I, and I didn't want to. And so it was just a lot of sadness. It was, it was, it wasn't a great time for the family. You know, they were, um, really, really disappointed, you know? Right. So did your mom have any help? Or, no, not no. at that time. Yeah. No, it was really bad. It was just trying desperately to control my behavior, trying desperately to um, pull me out of situations where, you know, something would happen and I would, I sh- probably should have been falling on my face and bearing the consequences of that. But a lot of times they would get me out of trouble, you know, and yeah. kind of save me from these things, which they're doing the best they can. You know, they didn't, they didn't know about any of this other stuff. They didn't know about recovery. So they just did their best to keep me out of trouble, but no, they had no, nothing, no framework to use that would be healthy at the time, which, you know, who does, you know? That's right. Yeah. I'm going to say that's, if you go back a couple of generations, nobody, nobody had 12 step recovery. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I guess that's the value that we have today is you've, we've got the recovery available. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, um, Alex, you got out of jail. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did life go? Did, did you get any help? No, no, <laughs> I, I was, um, well, I was mandated to do this thing called an ACC program, 
where you go to church. You have to go to this church 10 times. You have to pay this church $800 and then pay, I had to pay restitution and my charges, everything got dropped. And so, I mean, but I didn't pay attention or get anything out of it, but I, you know, moved on from there. And then, uh, my anxiety got really, really bad after that. And I got even more, you know, addicted to stuff like Xanax and, and, and opiates. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just really spiraled out, out of control after I went to jail. And then I got, by the time I was 21, 22, I was fully addicted to heroin shooting up every single day. Right. Yeah. Uh, so did you ever sell it? Um, I sold weed to pay for my heroin habit. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so, any other? Were you on any other drugs at that point? Um. So yeah. Uh, I mean, I basically did like all of the drugs, okay. but like her- heroin was like the main one that like really brought heroin and Xanax is what really brought me to my knees. Um. I I also went on a drug maintenance program. Um. After like, a, like you know, a. I did some time in a psych ward, um, and then I went on Suboxone, which is a drug maintenance program, and it, and it makes you not get high if you do opiates. Okay. And so I would, since I couldn't get that feeling of that rush from a shot of heroin, I mixed Xanax and mainly scotch. Like, that was like my drink of choice, yeah. or vodka, and I would mix that all together with the Suboxone and try and get that feeling of nothing, which I could achieve pretty well until I, I couldn't anymore and then I landed at another psych ward and then another rehab and all just the process of kept repeating itself over and over again right okay um, so um, Aaron um, you've got you did get into uni eventually. I somehow yeah somehow. I don't know <laughs> I, I barely scraped through getting out of high school and I yeah somehow got into uni yeah yeah so how did life go then with more freedom, I guess? Yeah, pretty much spiraled out of control. So I went to um, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and um, failed every single class. I think I failed every class except for beginning guitar, and I play guitar. So that was, you know. So I failed. like I, So that first – I was drinking every day, and uh, I just – I look back at pictures now and it's so fascinating to see because my, my, you know that when someone's drinking every day, their face gets all puffy and they get kind of yellow. And mm. that was kind of how I was looking by the time I was 19, 20. And I went to university. I was living in the dorms so I could do whatever I wanted. And I just drank and used drugs all day, every day. And uh, never really went to class. Um, took the prescribed medication the doctors are giving me, all that stuff. And so I never went to class and I failed every every class that first semester. And then when the grades came out that I had failed everything, my parents basically came down and they said, look, you need to drop out. This is really, really expensive. So you probably need to drop out. And I said, no, no, no. Give me one more chance. I swear I'll do better this next semester. And it was just the same thing. I, I went and I just was, I think at that time I was just, I would, you know, I would buy vodka, buy orange juice and sit in my room and drink screwdrivers is what they're called. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I would just drink myself silly you know and that was just before i found drugs but so it was just 
daily drinking, not really remembering what was going on. And I was just so lonely, man. I was so lonely. I remember all the other guys in the dorms were making friends and doing stuff. And I just remember looking at them and being like, man, what's it like to be normal, to have normal 21-year-old, 20-year-old problems, you know? Um, So I just was so disconnected from everybody else because of my drinking and my using, you know, at that point. And so you got really sick at that point. Yeah, I did. I got pretty sick um, just through, I reckon, like probably my diet and my drinking. I got like pretty bad kidney stones, I think, at the end of that year. And I remember my mom came and picked me up and she just looked at me and she was like, what happened? And I remember being so offended because she said, Aaron, you've, you've, you've gained all this weight and, and your face is really puffy and you look horrible. And um, I, I was really offended, you know, and so I got these... I got these kidney stones and they really, really hurt. You know, if you've ever had them, they're actually extremely painful. So I went to the doctor and uh, they gave me some ridiculous amount of oxycodone, which is just absurd looking back at the time, how much they gave me for like five bucks. And um, that was it, man. I mean, as soon as they gave me that, it was over. I was off to the races the first time I had oxycodone. And um, from there, then it degenerated into drinking as much as I could and taking painkillers at the same time, you know? Yeah. It's a bad mix, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome back to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, I'm pleased to be able to advise that you can now listen to our podcasts of the show. Uh, we've got about 13 recent episodes available on the Living Free webpage, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and they're also available on itunes uh, i podcast each new show and also progressively include some of our earlier shows as time permits you can contact us on 3cr living free at gmail.com if you want to ask a question or comment on the show um, i'm talking to aaron and alex about recovery from alcohol primarily but also drugs um, and we, we're talking about um we sort of got up to the point where drugs were starting to become a bit of a problem, but not really, not not too much of a problem. <laughs> Just a minor inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. A minor incursion. Um, and so um, I guess we'll start with you, Alex. So um, you you were, you were selling drugs to buy drugs. Yes. Um, so how did that go? Uh, it went really well at, because I, I could... Uh, it was I was basically getting high for free. I just had to do a little bit of work of you know distributing marijuana, and then I I just had plenty of money to spend on on liquor and um, and oxys. Yeah. Right. So how did you get into harder drugs? Uh, well, the the guy that I was working with at the time when we were selling the the weed together, uh, he started bringing home the paint like the the oxys and we started uh smoking them and snorting them and i before i knew it i was uh fully addicted to the to opiates and i i had overdosed in 2011 and that still didn't really stop me um and and then uh he moved away and then my girlfriend at the time and i we moved to a like the ghetto in atlanta to get a cheap house and then um go to our and it was also close to our heroin dealer's house so because the oxys got too expensive we started 
doing heroin instead and, and shooting it up because you get a better bang for your buck, basically. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so did that go well? No, no. Um, within two months, I, my arms were covered in track marks. I was sick every single day. I had to wake up at 6 a.m. to go to the dope man's house to to get my supply for the day. And I'd usually end up there at night as well. And that'd be like every single day I'd wake up dope sick and have to get drugs to to make it. So it, how, how did you break out of that? Well, I decided that enough was enough and that I was going to go and work for my dad up in New York for a month. And so I brought a huge prescription of Xanax with me, which is a benzodiazepine and it will, it makes you black out and just not feel things. So I thought it'd be a perfect drug to get off of heroin with. And so I, on my way to New York, I, I shot up in the bathroom to do my last shot of heroin that I thought I was going to do. And, uh, on the airplane ride over, I took a handful of Xanax and drank a couple beers, landed in New York. I re- vaguely remember going to my dad's office for a bit. Um, I went out with some friends that night, drank some vodka, took more Xanax, smoked some hash oil, woke up in my dad's apartment, and then I was sleepwalking, is what he told me. And then I woke up in the hospital the next day, and I thought I was in there for like a couple hours, but in fact, I was in there for like 24 hours. And then I woke up again in a psych ward in Manhattan, right. New York City. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a fast progression of yeah. institutions. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I suppose your parents were a bit concerned. Yeah. My dad had never seen me like that before. He had no idea that it was that bad for me. He just thought, you know, I just drank and smoked sometimes when I was a full-blown heroin addict. It scared it scared him to death. And then even my mom just couldn't believe what was happening to me. Because you mentioned earlier to me that they were both recreational drug users in the 70s. And the, yeah. And the, they tell me it was the 70s. <laughs> okay. They're like, it was the 70s. I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense. That explains it, yeah. Yeah. And they just stopped, though. Like, they never developed any kind of addiction or habit. They're, they're like, yeah, we turned 26 and we just stopped using drugs. It wasn't that big of a deal. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool. You know? <laughs> I wish I could. Sounds yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so what about you, Aaron? Um, you've 19 years old, in uni, um, sort of... Not not going well. Not flunked not, out. Not, not yeah. passing. No. So you leave uni, and what what happens? Uh, so basically, when I left uni, I it was just a series of it was. So I got sober at twenty two. I, I flunked out of uni at nineteen. So it was only three years that it got to the point where it was really really horrific. And so basically, it just kind of devolved into over the next three years. It was you know I would use uh, oxycodone as much as I could until it was honestly just sheer exhaustion, just being so dope sick all the time, going through withdrawals, constantly trying to find the money. Cause that's not cheap, you know, to have that sort of habit and to, to sell the drugs, to get the drugs, to do this, to do that. And I would do that for whatever, six months, nine months at a time. I started having anxiety attacks. I started ending up in the hospital a lot and just crashing my cars and all this crazy stuff. And so I would do the the drug thing for maybe six months, nine months, and then I would come home to my mom and I would say, look, I would probably you know break down into tears and I would say, look, this is too much. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to lock myself in the basement, detox myself, go through withdrawals and so on. And I would do that. But 
sure enough, you know, as soon as I would get through the withdrawals, um, I would just start drinking. And I'm an alcoholic. I can't drink safely. So as soon as I start drinking, then my drinking gets out of control. Yeah. So over the next three years, it was just kind of trying to, because I couldn't imagine a life without something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so just trading back and forth over the next couple of years, you know? So what was happening in your life? What sort of events marked your... <sighs> Man, taking a lot of emotional hostages with women and um, just taking the emotional hostage, trying to find somebody that would enable me, crashing my cars, um, losing losing jobs. I was basically unemployable. Um, I tried to go to university again and kind of failed out again. Um, just constant fights with my family, them being really worried about me. A lot of hospital visits. I remember I just... I don't know why I would use too much or I would have an anxiety attack. And, and just, I remember, you know, sometimes I would, I was on the Suboxone methadone program as well for a while. And I remember I would take that stuff and, and mix it with all this alcohol and all these other drugs. And I would just be, I just remember like laying on the floor in some guy's bathroom in Milwaukee and just shaking and thinking, what is happening to me? You know, like just being so physically ill from it, you know, and it was sad, man. You know, a lot of people were brokenhearted trying to, and my friends as well, because my friends drank kind of normally, and I was surrounded by them, and they would just kind of look at me like, and what's wrong with you? What's yeah. wrong with you, man? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, why can't you drink like a normal person? So it was just a lot of broken hearts along the way, and, and um, I, got a, I got a drink driving at one point. I was, I didn't, even, they pulled me over, and I didn't even, I was so drunk, because I, I did a lot of drink driving. I don't know what that is inside of me, but when I drink, I'm going to drive. And the, I remember the cops pulled me over, and I, pulled up onto the sidewalk. <laughs> I pulled my car like up onto the sidewalk. And so they said, what have you been drinking tonight? I said, yes, I have. <laughs> Take me away. And so they did, you know, and just in the hospital and all this stuff, you know. Yeah, it was a nightmare. <laughs> right. Okay. So Alex, um, what, so you went into the psych ward, mm-hmm. you got, did, were you exposed to AA at that point? I was. I was. My very first AA meeting was in uh, the Gracie Square Hospital in Manhattan, and uh, I don't remember it because I was on so much methadone and, and clonopin that I I just was totally not there. But when I when I left the psych ward after seven days, I started going to meetings on my own because. It uh, gave me an excuse to leave work early. I told my dad, like, hey, yeah. I, I need to go to a meeting to get better. But it got me out of work two hours early, and I, it yeah. got me out a lot of having to do things I didn't want to do. But I was still, like, drinking and taking Klonopin and picking up a 30-day tag, as, yeah. as you do. Right. Yeah. So, so how long did that last? Um, I, I, I did that in New York for a month, and I came back to Atlanta, and just things just again i just went right back to my dope dealer's house got hooked on heroin again and then tried the suboxone thing for a while you know mixed it with the xanax and alcohol and then it got so bad that i i was threatening suicide i was starting to shoot myself with my hunting rifle that i had and um i guess my my parents must have called the cops and they came to my house and took my gun and then the ambulance the paramedics came and they took me to the hospital and I got put in another psych ward. And while I was in that psych ward, I got a phone call from my mom saying that my best friend had passed away from a heroin overdose 
and that that's the same guy that I met when I first moved to Georgia. We were like the black sheeps together. He he had finally uh, passed away from the disease, and uh, that was probably like one of that was like my wake up call. Um, it, it didn't get me clean and sober, but it it got me to a point of like uh, it's maybe I should start trying for once. Right. So, what sort of what sort of times did you spend in rehab? What's what length of time? Uh, my first like inpatient rehab was at uh, Mar in Atlanta, and I was there for about forty five days, and I got uh, kicked out because we weren't allowed to uh, talk to girls and stuff like that. And I had a girl come like meet me in the parking lot, and uh, they found out, and I got I got kicked out, and, and mainly I I and I was just a lot of lying lying about all that kind of stuff they just got fed up with it and i got the boot and then um relapsed after a couple of weeks of being out of the treatment center uh got involved with another girl took her emotionally hostage put her through you know all kinds of horrible things ended up in another rehab um spent 30 days at uh, blue ridge mountain recovery center and then spent when I got out of there, I went to the Arches for 11 months, which is a halfway house in Atlanta, and that's when I started kind of getting it and understanding AA and, and wanting to get clean and sober. Right. Okay. Um, so back to you, Aaron, I guess. Um, so you were – things weren't going well. You were acting a bit like a kid. Yeah, you could an, say that. An adult child. Basically, a um, big child. <laughs> So, how did you get into? How how did you get help? What was the what started the process? Yeah, I'd been playing around in AA a little bit just before I actually got sober, and um, just kind of did the thing of just go to a couple meetings, talk about my problems, come late, leave early, do that thing, and and never got a sponsor, never worked the steps, never did any of that, and I just remember doing that a little bit here and there, but it never really. Uh, clicked with me that hey this is the thing that's going to change my life you know I never had that revelation at that time but the short version is is I I was with a girl at the time we were living in Milwaukee and for you know whatever my drinking my behaviors everything was out of control and she said you gotta go you gotta you gotta leave this is killing me and so um I went on a my last bender I didn't know it was my last but I went on my last bender with drinking and uh and drugs and stuff and you know I I just remember my mom was on the phone with the rehab and she was saying, look, we're going to get you in here. And I knew that she was on the phone. So I went, I stole a bunch of money from my mom and my family and I drove across town and I got on the, on Oxycontin for the last time. And I took so much that I just kind of blacked out. And, um, long story short, I came to in the hospital, they had, uh, hit me with the Narcan thing that kind of takes you out. It like, if you overdose or you take too much, kind of come rocketing back to mm. consciousness. And, came to and my parents were at the foot of my bed and they're crying and, and they were just like dude you, like we think you have a serious problem and you need to go away and I remember saying to them I think this is overkill I think that you guys are blowing this out of proportion here in the intensive care unit this is a bit much you know and so I then went to the psych ward for maybe 10 days seven days something like that and um they shipped me off to a hospital um, called Nova in, I think it's in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. They mm. sent me there for 30 day inpatient. Um, and then I kind of started to see there in the hospital, I said, kind of started to see this AA thing and this recovery thing. And I saw that I was unwell in my mind, you know, and they shipped me off to Arizona from there. And I, I think a lot of the people 
that were staying sober after the rehab were getting shipped to these long-term six-month places in Arizona. And I just, I kind of came to the realization that I want to live and I don't want to live this way anymore because I've been trying for a long time to get sober on my own. I really earnestly wanted to stop. Yeah. So they shipped me off to Arizona and that's where I found AA, fell in love with AA, you know? Right. Okay. Um, so Alex, um, you've, you've got into treatment center after treatment center after treatment center, eventually got into a halfway house. Yes. So what happened when you came out of there? Well, while I was in the halfway house, I was on this thing called a gender contract where we weren't allowed to talk to girls or start any kind of relationships with them for the first six months. And I immediately basically broke that rule within the first month and met a girl and uh, had a secret relationship with her for a little while. And then so she broke the rule as well. She was in a different halfway house. Oh, okay. her, her, her gender contract was only three months. <laughs> Mine was six months. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, she was in the good one. No, and um, so I met her, had a secret relationship, and eventually it came out that you know we were dating, and then you know got a, didn't really get in that much trouble because I was sort of honest about it. I made it sound on like what I was yeah. doing was was like okay. You're owning up, yeah. Yeah, but I, it wasn't the full truth. You know, in fact, I've been seeing her for months when I just said I just met her sort of thing. And uh, eventually we moved out together. We moved um, to, an, to an apartment in, in Sandy Springs, Atlanta. And then within two months, we basically decided that AA wasn't for us anymore and that we should try and drink normally and manage it, which we, which we did. Um, and then so for about a week, yeah, for about a week, we, we did it. And then, um, we, I got hooked on Xanax again. And then within two weeks I had a needle in my arm and we were both, uh, going to the ghetto to get heroin every single day and to get high. And it just, for three or four months, it was like that every single day, Mm. just from trying to drink. Okay. You're listening to living free on three CR on digital radio and streaming live on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to Aaron and Alex about recovery from alcoholism, um, and we've, we've sort of reached the point where getting into recovery, getting into starting to take things a bit bit more seriously, uh, and I guess understanding that the AA program can help. Um, so, um, Aaron, what what was the point when you were exposed to AA that made you think that AA could help you? Yeah. I mean, just the identification, you know, like I think I, I got down there to Arizona and I was really, really fortunate that I got introduced to a group of guys that were working the program as prescribed, you know, they weren't taking shortcuts. They weren't making it up in their own way. They were just, they're reading the big book and they're saying, this is what the original members did. This is what we're going to do. And so um, I saw these guys that had drank the same way that I did, allegedly, you know, they drank the same way that I did and they looked happy and they had, uh, their car had insurance that was paid for and they had, you know what I mean? And yeah. they paid rent and they paid their electricity bill. And I'm like, wow, these guys are young and they're sober and they drank like me. And I got a sponsor right away. Um, kind of because I was, it was the, it was like the cool thing to do was to get yeah. sober, you know? Yeah. So I got a sponsor and, um, I, I, got introduced to these guys and immediately started going through the steps and started going to a lot of meetings. And I just pretty much immediately fell in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. I I was just like, this is amazing. Cause you go your whole life feeling like I'm totally weird 
I'm 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 a weirdo. I'm alone. I'm a degenerate. I'm a criminal. I'm unique. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm 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 morbidly, uniquely, um, just this miscreant. You know, and that's who I am. And then you get there, and there's all these guys that are just like you, and they're happy. It's not just that they're sober. Anyone can be sober for a couple of months. It's that they'd been sober for a couple of years, and they were happy about it. And it blew my mind, you know, so I just fell in love right away. But I, I think the main thing that I'd like to say, just, you know, for anyone that's listening, is I didn't just go and try to get it through osmosis. Well, you know, Steve is sober, so if I sit next to him, I'll be right. It was more like this guy did this process, went through these 12 steps, etc., if I do that, actually take the action and the hard work and the discipline to do that, then I can get it. And that's, that's what I did. You know, it just, with, by the time I was probably six months sober, I was flying back to Milwaukee and doing my nine step and making amends to people I had harmed and paying people money back I had stolen. And I came back from that trip and I did that trip alone, you know? Yeah. And I came back and I was just a different person. It just changed me, you know? Yeah. No, it's good. It's good feeling when you um, when you understand your thinking and and the fact that your thinking drives your actions. Yeah, well, that's what they described to me right away. As soon as I got off the plane, they were like, "Your your thinking is the problem. The the drinking and the alcohol that's all fine and good, but it's symptomatic. Really, yeah. It's just a symptom of yeah. of the deeper problem of what's actually wrong with you. And that was a huge relief, you know. Yep. Uh, so, Alex, um, you you were in and out of um, what? rehabs and um all sorts of places so how when did you start thinking ai could help you well in the the first time i had 14 months while i was at the arches is when i was when aa was helping me but i just couldn't be honest with myself and other people so i never really got the full benefits of the program but i got like some of them in a sense and i knew that aa worked because i did feel some sense of relief even though I wasn't fully working to the best of my ability. So I knew it worked. And so when I relapsed again and I, and my mom came and pulled me out of the apartment and like, you're going back to rehab, I was relieved because I knew the program worked and I, and I knew I would be okay if I, if, if when I went back to treatment, I started working the steps again and, you know, got a sponsor and, and did all that stuff. So, uh, so, so how important was it then for your mom to actually help you do that? Because you weren't capable of doing that at that time. No, she saved she saved my life. There, it was only a matter of time before I, I was I was going to die or end up in prison. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I like to talk about is the difference between helping, you know, being a parent and helping, and being a parent and just prolonging. Yeah. So, Aaron, what's your? Do you, uh, want to, do you want to talk about that? Because to me, there's it really is a fine line. It's it's a really concerned parent yeah. who's trying to help, but everything they're doing is just prolonging the drinking. Yeah, yeah. I think you know it's pretty obvious that if the alcoholic doesn't uh, fall flat on his face a couple times, he's never going to feel the need to change because he's not bearing the consequences of his actions. You know, and for me, it was just timing. You know, it was finally I. It had gotten so serious that my parents were like, look, we're sending you away. And I, me too. You know, it saved my life that they – because that, that cost them money and it cost them time. And so when they finally uh, sent me away and actually uh, – rather than getting me out of trouble, they put me in solution. Yeah. If that right. makes sense, yes. you know. And yeah. so when they put me in the solution, um, I was so grateful, you know, and I still am, you know, that um, – so I think that's the difference, I guess, is instead of – 
saving me from the stuff, maybe offer me a solution, and then it's up to me if I'm going to grab it, you know? Yeah. So that's what helped yeah. for me. Right. Okay. Uh, so back to you, Alex. So you've um, you've been rescued. You've been put in rehab. So what was the thing that, that changed you that got you to think life's worth living? I'll give it a go. Well, what happened was for the first – six months i was i was in i went to prescott arizona where i was in a rehab called clean adventures and it was a, it was a combination of things one of them was that i i developed a hobby that i really liked was was rock climbing and it because it was an adventure-based program with hiking all all the all kinds of cool yeah. stuff rock climbing kayaking and i developed a passion for something that i really liked and the other thing was that i i was going through a really difficult situation with my ex-girlfriend um, she was making it really hard for me to uh, to leave her, basically. It's just claiming pregnancies and wanting to get married and, you know, none of this stuff ending up being true. And I made it through that without having to get drunk or high. And it really gave me a lot of self-confidence that I can get through anything. If If I can get through that, if I can get through thinking I'm going to be a dad and then having that taken away from me like i can i can make it through through anything in my recovery so that was that was one of the the biggest things for me was was making it through that right and you you heard about aaron i did i was in a i was in a sunday morning uh men's stag meeting um and somebody was sharing about how their friend had moved to australia and was doing really well and my plan was to uh, move to Sydney because I'm, I'm an Australian citizen. My dad's Australian. So my plan was to uh, move to Sydney when I graduated rehab and, and start my new life. Um, so I heard about uh, Aaron through a share and I got Aaron's contact information and I emailed him like, hey, I plan on moving to Australia. Um, where do you live? He's like, oh, I live in Melbourne. The recovery is really good out here. It's like, all right, cool, you know, I'll see you soon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he he thought I was just, like, moving to another continent when you're fresh out of rehab is is not the suggested thing to do. But um, I did it I did it anyway, and I, I transitioned into a sober living house for a month. I went to the sober living house in Carnegie, and they really helped me get acclimated to living in Australia and transitioning back, back into real life, basically. And then Aaron um, accepted me as a sponsee and let me move in with him into a house in Hawthorne. And, and you know, it's just, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's right. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, well, I just want to sort of finish up with just chatting on what it's like now you know once you've you've been in AA, uh, Aaron seven and a half years, and Alex sixteen months or so. Mm-hmm. So what's what's it like now living free? Right now, it's it's just waking up every day with with gratitude that I'm that I am free, and that I'm not waking up dope sick, and that I'm not ruining relationships. I have friends and family that love me, and I have I have a. I have a great job where I'm a, I'm a disability support worker and, you know, I, I work with great people and I, I love my clients and I just helping people every single day and, and getting out of self. And it's, you know, I couldn't really ask for anything more. Like I just am so grateful every single day that where I'm at, 
and I and I don't really look. I'm not. I don't look into the future and, and get afraid anymore. I and I don't, you know, look into the past and feel a ton of regret. I just I just try and stay in the present and and feel okay. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, Aaron, you've since gone on and got a degree. Yeah. Um, and working in, I guess, in the industry of recovery industry. Yeah. Um, so, what's the future hold for you? Yeah, it's. Um, I'd always wanted to go to school, and I always wanted to be an academic of sorts. And so, um, when I finally got sober, and I I came out to Australia, I got a degree in psychological science. I got a bachelor's in psychological science, and then I was lucky enough. I worked hard enough that I got accepted into honors and all this different stuff. And so. The future, basically, uh, yeah, I've been in Melbourne for four years, and it's blown my mind. It's humbled me. It's uh, it's really – I've fallen in love with Alcoholics Anonymous all over again because I've seen how anywhere I go, anything I do, no matter what life throws me, I've got this program kind of as my backbone, you know. And, and even on the other side of the world, there's, it's still here, and it still saves my life every day. And so, um, yeah, now that I have my degree, uh, my mom, who will probably listen to this, and my dad, they really want me home, and I want to be with them, you know, and – so uh, I'm currently in the process of applying to master's and PhD programs in psychology in Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland and stuff like that. So I'm trying to go on. I'm trying to be <laughs> trying to get a PhD. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm pretty scared yeah. about it. But um, I just I'm trying to move forward uh, in academia and uh, try to go into research. And it's just I guess for anyone that's listening, it's just. I'm an alcoholic. I fail out of university. I hurt people. You know, that's what I do. But now today, seven and a half years in the program, who would have thought, you know, that seven and a half years is like, maybe I'll get a PhD. That would be amazing. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at moving moving forward. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. That sounds really good. Um, okay. Well, I think if uh, if there's anybody out there who um, thinks AA could help them, uh, or if you've got a family member you think it could help, you can call AA on one three hundred two 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 two, or go online to aa.org.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Aaron and Alex for coming in to the studio today and sharing their alcoholics recovery experience with us. Yep, thanks, mm. dude. Thank you. Yep. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from drug addiction, and we're joined by some members of Narcotics Anonymous. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program, but stay tuned for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective.